if you had to go and look at all the different things that we do with launch vehicles, uh, with how sophisticated our spacecraft are, you know, I'm not sure there's really any value in them if you can't really talk to them or communicate with them. SCAN is essentially the communications architecture. It's the electronic highway that connects all of these different missions to mission control rooms. Welcome back to Small Steps, Giant Leaps, a NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast where we tap into project experiences to share best practices, lessons learned, and novel ideas. I'm Dina Nunley. NASA missions require highly reliable communications, sometimes over long periods of time and great distances. Space communications and navigation chief engineer Neil Mollick joins us now to talk about space communications. Neil, thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. What are you working on? So I am uh, in the Office of Chief Engineer, supporting the Space Communications and Navigations Program at NASA headquarters. And basically, I'm there as uh, the technical authority looking over what it is that SCAN, uh, that Space Communications and Navigations Program, looks into and uh, making sure that we are dotting the I's and crossing the T's and uh, making sure we're doing the right things for the missions we support. How did you come to a career in space communications? Okay, yeah. So this is going to be a, an interesting one. So, um, you know, so I, I think if I if I start from the very beginning, um, you know, when, when I was a kid, I never thought I was going to be an engineer. Um, I always dreamed about being an astronaut and uh, when I was a kid. And so I abandoned that at the age of nine, uh, I think like most kids do. And, uh, and, and basically, I kind of, you know, just you know, stay, stayed on the periphery. I, I really like cars and I became a car mechanic uh, in London uh, at a car company. And so uh, I, I basically, you know, stayed as a car mechanic for a while, had no real aspirations of uh, being an engineer of any kind until I was really kind of pushed into it by my parents. So you, you know how that kind of goes. And so mm-hmm. um, I then, uh, I, I basically took uh, classes in uh, electrical engineering and, and I really figured out that electrical engineering was very, very broad. And so I started looking at what specific fields I could actually get into. And so communications was an interesting one. And so uh, part of my project was uh, designing a what they call a semi-small antenna for Wi-Fi. And so I'm going to really date myself when I say this. But uh, at the time, PDAs, um, I don't even remember what PDAs even stands for anymore. Personal Digital Assistant, I guess. Like the Palm Pilots and that. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I, I could never get one. And in, in a way, I still kind of want one. Um, <laughs> but you, th- those things used to talk directly to the internet wirelessly. And so I helped design a semi-smart antenna that actually focused energy towards those at airports. And so I, I did that uh, for a while. Um, and then once I completed that, I uh, decided to move to the United States. And uh, at that point, I uh, got another uh, degree. I got a master's degree this time on the West Coast. And uh, I always had aspirations of just kind of moving into the cell phone industry. Um, That was really what I believed the peak of my career really would be. And uh, somehow I uh, (laughs) fell into space. Uh, There was an exciting uh, young company at the time, or relatively young company at the time, uh, Orbital Sciences, uh, that basically uh, was very exciting to me worked in the space business. So I thought, you know, I'll go there. So I, I stayed there for 10 years and I worked on a, a variety of missions, uh, commercial, NASA missions, and everything from low Earth orbit all the way out to deep space. And, and so I did that for about 10 years. Um, after that, I uh, transitioned to NASA and, and I became the deputy network director for human spaceflight. 
And, and there I was responsible for communications and tracking for all human spaceflight missions that NASA did, as well as the collaboratives with uh, the Japanese for their cargo vehicle. After a couple of years, I became the network director, and, and I did that for a couple of years before I transitioned into uh, this chief engineer position that I now have at uh, headquarters. And so if you had to summarize everything, uh, I basically went from being a car mechanic doing oil filter changes and replacing wiper blades and installing audio systems to being chief engineer at NASA in about 15 years. And so as a result, it's, it's really kind of an interesting American dream type story in a way, right? It's uh, yeah. being able to go and do something that I don't think I would have ever dreamed of. That is just so fascinating. How different it must have felt to go from being a car mechanic to a chief engineer on a space communications program for NASA. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it's been kind of a whirlwind. Uh, in a way, sometimes I uh, I wake up in the morning and I think to myself, "Is this really happening? We, you know, when do I uh, get out of this dream?" Right? It, it's yeah, it's don't, uh, don't pinch me. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Right. It's it's definitely been a uh, you know uh, li living the dream in a tornado that has been my career. It's been great. <laughs> uh, sounds like so much fun. How important is Scan? So scan scan is extremely important um, in terms of how these missions work. Um, you know, if if you had to go and look at all the different things that we do with launch vehicles, uh, with how sophisticated our spacecraft are, you know, I'm not sure there's really any value in them if you can't really talk to them or communicate with them. And, and the analogy that I would use, just you know, for for the overall audiences, is take a look at your cell phone. Take a look at everything that you have. Your you know everything that we have that's connected to the internet. Right, uh, but cell phones are really probably the most appropriate examples here. You know, everyone now has the latest iPhone. Everyone has the latest Android. If there is no network to connect to, what does that cell phone do for you? It's it's basically a nice metallic shiny object that has a nice fancy screen and colors and stuff. But if you can't communicate with it, it's it's very very difficult. And so as a result, that's that's kind of the analogy that you want to use here. That infrastructure that the cell phone talks to is what SCAN does for all our space missions and all our launch vehicles and all the other aerospace activities that we currently have. So yeah, SCAN is absolutely important. It's that infrastructure, it's that backbone that all the uh, NASA missions and all our collaborative agencies use uh, as well. And when you describe it as the backbone, what exactly does SCAN do? So yeah, so, so SCAN is essentially the communications architecture. It's the electronic highway that connects all of these different missions to mission control rooms. SCAN itself is basically a mission support function that basically goes and takes all the missions, takes how they communicate and be, are able to go and build ground stations, uh, antennas, and the overall infrastructure that allows you to connect back to mission control. And so as a result, what we're trying to do with at least on the SCAN side of things is making sure that we have a robust enough technology that keeps up with technology and that is able to go and give us the, the higher data rates, the things that I think a lot of the users are coming to expect that they now treat as uh, creature comforts. Um, for example, on the International Space Station, um, the crew uh, now has uh, high-def video capabilities, and, and we see that here on the ground. And so what we're doing on the scan side is making sure that we are enabling those technologies and those capabilities for all of our missions and making sure that we enable the functions and the science that they're pulling down as well as being able to go and provide 
uh, astronauts and future crews um, to being able to do anything that they would normally otherwise do here on Earth. So SCAN touches every single space mission. Absolutely. Um, there, there is a part of SCAN in almost everything. Uh, and again, just using the, the cell phone analogy, there is a part of a network on, on everyone's cell phone, right? It's those cell bars. And so as a result, it's the same thing with these missions. These missions connect directly to Earth through our SCAN assets. And so as a result, there's always a touch point that each of these missions have. And, and, and again, that's what makes SCAN so exciting. It's because it's involved in everything uh, that the agency does. Neil, from a technical standpoint, is network communications more challenging with deep space missions than, say, low Earth orbit? Uh, I wouldn't say uh, it's more challenging. I would say it's more different. Um, you know, s- since I happen to be on the uh, the analogy train, uh, <laughs> uh, let me let me go and give you another analogy. So. Um, if, for example, if you had one of those, like, you know, you, you see how everyone now has those mopeds, those scooters that you ride around. Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost like saying, which is more difficult? Is it more difficult navigating through a city, right, with a lot of traffic on that little scooter and making sure you're dodging all that traffic? Or is it easier to, you know, go 150 miles on that one scooter? In a way, it's, it's that they're both challenging in their own environments, uh, and so for, for us on deep space missions, yeah, we, you know, we have more than 40 deep space missions out there. Um, they, they all have their challenges. You know, one of the things that we have to make sure that is we're pointing in the right place. We have the necessary Doppler compensation. We do the correct navigation techniques to ensure we can uh, communicate effectively and we're always available whenever that mission needs us. And you can see that we've enabled those for those high profile missions. Uh, going back to Voyager, uh, all the way up to now and looking at what it is that these missions are doing. We, we just saw some pictures from uh, Juno of the moon. So in a way, you can see how Jupiter's moon looks like. And, and again, SCAN enabled that. And so, yeah, it, it's challenging doing stuff like that. And, and then in low Earth orbit, it, it's a different set of challenges. There are so many more missions uh, that are being supported by SCAN. And so for us, it's really more making sure that we're able to go and communicate effectively with every single one of those missions as best as possible knowing that they all want to be able to communicate with the ground or we want to communicate with it uh, almost all the time. And so as a result, there are different challenges. And so as a result, I would say it's always challenging. And and again, that's what makes it fun. How does SCAN support Artemis missions? Yeah, so, so Artemis is going to be an interesting mission because SCAN is so integrated with how that mission is going to be enabled. So the Artemis mission is, is composed of both the uh, the space launch system, the the, the, the rocket, uh, as well as the Orion spacecraft. And so there, and again, going back to does SCAN touch every single mission? Uh, for that one, it absolutely does. Uh, we are communicating with that rocket and that spacecraft from the launch pad, you know, hours beforehand. And we are going to be using both our near space network assets for when both the launch vehicle, both the rocket and the spacecraft are in low Earth orbit uh, as it goes through its uh, ascent and checkout phase. And as it performs its uh, translunar injection burn and heads out to the moon, we transition scans support services from near space network to the deep space network. And, and so as a result, you're, you're going to see that, you know, we're, we're basically customizing the, the, 
the assets that we're using to support that mission. And, and the same thing with Orion. Once it goes around the moon and starts to head back to Earth, we go back in reverse. We transition from the deep space network over to the near space network and we provide the calm support and the navigation support all the way as it comes back and re-enters uh, back and splashes down. So yes, the so scan is going to be supporting with multiple assets, both the tracking data relay satellites, the, the TDRS. Um, we have our, our own near-Earth, uh, near-space network uh, ground stations, as well as the deep space antennas, and, and tracking that uh, for as long as possible, while being able to go and supporting every other mission out there that still needs that support too. What's the future of SCAN? So SCAN's future is actually very, very uh, bright. Actually, that's one of the reasons why um, I I really wanted to take this uh, chief engineer position. Um, SCAN is starting to, you know, trying to get ahead of where we really need to be. And so there's a lot of things that SCAN is trying to endeavor and are succeeding in. So uh, the, the first thing I think everyone's kind of started talking about, and that's optical communications. Um, for everyone, that's essentially lasers, communicating with lasers. And so with that, we, we have a couple of missions coming up that SCAN is building the infrastructure for now. Um, we have the LCRD mission, the Laser Calm Relay Demonstration mission, uh, that's going to be coming up shortly. Um, the space station is going to host uh, another uh, payload called Illumity. And uh, on Orion, the second Orion mission to the moon, uh, which will be crewed, there will be an optical package on there, and we're going to try and attempt another laser communications demonstration from lunar distances. On top of that, we have another set of things going on here, even just in the near-Earth domain, uh, and that is commercialization of our low-Earth orbit. So everything is really, uh, all a lot of our missions are dependent on the use of TDRS and on our ground stations, and what we want to be able to do is essentially foster a commercialization aspect of how we run the business, uh, at least on the scan side. We have seen with the cargo uh, resupply missions, as well as the commercial crew program, that it does work. If we do go and provide some seed money to a company to be able to go and build a capability and have that sold back to the government for the government to basically go and say, okay, we want the commercial industry to go ahead and uh, foster this relationship, we we can see that um, we can commercialize communications too. And so we're looking to communi- uh, commercialize the low Earth orbit, basically see what it takes to go and do um, Earth relay as well as ground station communications for all our low Earth orbit missions and maybe extend that out to lunar distances in the future. We also have a lot of cognitive radio, software-defined radio uh, activities that are going on, things that are basically trying to help make things smarter, uh, increasing data rates, looking at how noise in the RF environment works and being able to compensate for that autonomously and being able to do that both on the ground side and from space. Uh, we talked about lunar communications and relay and seeing what that really looks like. Uh, because we're going to fly things like Orion and lunar rovers and a lot of science missions, we are looking at building a lunar common relay navigation infrastructure, similar to what we have around the Earth. And so so that's another big focus item. And then I think in the... In the I would say near to mid-future is uh, the, the real exciting one, and that's quantum communications. This is where we go and we use the the optical framework, but we build quantum, where we can start going and moving photons and using that to go and move communications packets around. 
And so that will be the one where it gets really exciting. So again, the, the future is fairly bright for Scan, and uh, it's, it's never a boring day when it comes to the things that we do on a daily basis, as well as looking and keeping one eye out in the future for the things that we're doing. When you reflect on your experiences since joining NASA, what are some of the lessons you've learned that other engineers might appreciate? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm not going to ever state that my, uh, my career has ever been the, the perfect model for uh, h- how to go and do things. It's, it's just one way. But I, w- I will tell you one thing that I've learned uh, that's absolutely key. And I think there's a, a couple of sub-lessons that come out after it, if, if sub-lessons is even a word. Um, but w- one of the things that I've always done is maintaining that curiosity to always wanting to learn. Um, one of the things that I, I've learned and appreciated as an engineer, and I think that I'm bringing into this position, is learn and, and see everything from beginning to end of a project lifecycle. You know, if, if, if engineers out there want to go and, you know, be able to go and have an impact in, in, a, in a major functional role or in a management role, being able to learn the engineering, uh, learning the development, learning the build, the testing, flight operations uh, is, is absolutely key because what happens is as, as you're working through the different parts of a, of a mission, be it on the spacecraft side, the rocket side, or even on the ground side, you're going to see how the, the, the projects that you're working on starts to morph from what was essentially a design, how it really operates in, you know, once you've actually built it seeing how test failures occur and see how you work around those and then building up concept of operations around the, the way your hardware really works and, and being able to understand and, and basically gather those new skills and making sure that you continue to learn and getting out of that comfort zone. I think the other skill that I would encourage is making sure that everyone takes everyone's perspective. You may be the absolute expert in this gizmo that you have just created, but other people's perspectives may play a role in how you see things being done. And so that's one of the things that I would say is a big lessons learned for me. You know, when, when I came in, I thought I knew anything and everything about antennas. And I, and I, thought, I, I thought that coming straight into uh, my, my first job. And I remember, you know, being schooled on how to go and do things by people outside of the communications arena, be, uh, mechanical engineers, thermal engineers telling me, how, how things are really kind of done and how they impact uh, a lot of the things that I do. So in a way, seeing things from beginning to end, being able to go and understand every phase of a project or a program's lifecycle, learning as much as you can from everyone and continuing that learning. It's, it's something that I, I actually uh, I enjoy even today. It's one of the things that makes my job satisfying. Well, this has been so much fun getting to hear your story. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's such an interesting journey that you've had getting to NASA and then since you've been with the agency. So thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. We really do appreciate it. Well, thank you and uh, glad to have been here. Do you have any closing thoughts? You know, one of the things that I would encourage all uh, anyone listening to this podcast, if you're you know dreaming about working at NASA, don't ever think that there is a model that you absolutely have to follow to get into the industry to be able to go and do great things. Uh, take a look at what I've been able to do in the time that I've been able to do it, uh, and you know, even though it sounds weird, but if I can do it, I think anyone can do it. So I think again, just you know. 
if if you have a dream, you know, you you put everything into it, put your mind to it, you can go and do almost anything. Because guess what? That's exactly what I'm doing. You'll find Neil's bio along with links to related resources and a transcript of today's show at apple.nasa.gov/podcast. If there's a topic you'd like for us to feature in a future episode, please let us know on Twitter at NASA Apple. That's A P P E L, and use the hashtag Small Steps Giant Leaps. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>